South Carolina spring football game is just around the corner, and there's plenty of position battles to watch on both sides of the ball. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. Real quickly, want to apologize if I sound a little bit hoarse or groggy. I am feeling a little bit under the weather right now, so please bear with me if my voice doesn't sound the greatest on today's show. But with all that being said, let's get on right into it. South Carolina's spring game is about to take place just four days from today. And this spring game is going to tell Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football coaching staff a lot in terms of how certain positions might shake out both in fall camp and heading into the 2023 football season. So which position battles do we need to watch closely on Saturday? The first one that really sticks out to me is South Carolina's running back position, where obviously you got three different players right now who are taking the bulk of the snaps in practice, and those guys are Juju McDowell, to carry on Joyner, and Mario Anderson Jr. How does this factor going into the spring game? Well, the staff has got to figure out which running back is not only going to complement South Carolina's new offense under Dow Loggins, but also complement Spencer Rattler's game, in essence, because this new offense is going to be mainly centered around Spencer Rattler's strengths. And so you're going to need a running back back there that is going to be the Robin to Spencer Rattler's Batman in the pocket or outside of the pocket at times. And all three of these running backs, Juju McDowell, to carry on Joyner, and Mario Anderson Jr., they all specialize for the most part in one particular area. With Juju McDowell, he's kind of the quote-unquote June bug of this group because he's just a guy that can create electrifying plays every single time he touches the football. He's got speed, he's got elusiveness, he's got the ability to shake defenders down the field. He can catch the football quite well. The only issues really with him are his size. His size holds him back from ever being potentially a three-down back in the SEC. And because his size is an issue, it also could mean that pass protection could be an issue for Juju McDowell. Although, you cannot question the heart he has on the football field. In terms of to carry on Joyner, he is sort of, ironically enough, the jack-of-all-trades out of these three backs. And he's also the guy that's the most green at this position. But to carry on Joyner has shown the ability to do a variety of things in South Carolina's offense throughout his career at South Carolina. He can catch the football. He's a solid north-south downhill runner. And, according to the coaches... He apparently is pretty good at pass protection. That is a carryover from all the reps that he's taken in Pete Limbo's special teams units in the past two seasons. So, to carry on Joyner, based on reports that have come out of spring ball, he's a guy that, you know, who knows, he might not start for South Carolina, but he could be a guy that comes off the bench and maybe gets a ton of snaps 
with this offense. And then you got Mario Anderson Jr., who has kind of been sort of forgotten, it seems like, out of this group. But you should not forget about Mario because he's a guy that was brought here for a reason. He was a Division II All-American at Newberry this past season. He is a deceivingly quick and elusive one-cutback who runs downhill and behind his shoulder pads. He is, in essence, sort of the power back out of these three guys 5'9 208 210 pounds he's going to kind of be this team's version of Marshawn Lloyd does not have the same exact talent that Marshawn Lloyd had this past season but nonetheless Meyer Anderson Jr. is going to help in some capacity all three of these guys apparently split reps with the first team offense in the Gamecock scrimmage two weekends ago so Again, it might not necessarily be who's going to be the first back and then everybody else is only going to get like 10, 15 carries this next season. It might be who fits the offense the best and who will be the first guy that goes out onto the field. That's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch on Saturday. Guarantee Juju McDowell is probably going to get the first reps here. But again, it'll be interesting to see what on Joyner and Mario Anderson Jr. do when they get their shot. And I would imagine they all three will get their reps with the first-team offense in the spring game. Another position to watch, and one that we have talked about tirelessly on this show to this point in the spring, is the edge defender position with multiple guys like Desmond Zulu, Tyreek Johnson, Brian Thomas Jr., and Terrell Dawkins. How does this relate to the spring game? The coaching staff is, without a doubt, going to hope to see some separation here at this position because you've got different levels of experience and skill sets, but you don't really have anyone that's proven at the SEC level. The bigger name from a potential standpoint is Desmond Omeo-Zulu. He's a true freshman who obviously just enrolled in January, and it's very hard for true freshmen in the trenches to become a starter in year one. But if anybody can do it, it might be Desmond Mayo-Zulu this year because he's a kid that has flashed and has found his way around the football on multiple occasions in practice per the words of Coach Shane Beamer at his press conferences. And he's a guy that offers a lot of length and height at the edge defender spot. He was a really good pass rusher in high school and with Jordan Strawn coming off an ACL tear, we don't know what he's going to look like once he gets back on the football field. I have no doubt that this is a guy that's going to push for significant playing time. And if he's going to do that, then he's going to obviously have to really showcase his talents on Saturday. Another guy to watch, Tyreek Johnson. He's had multiple ACL injuries to this point in his career. And admittedly, he's never been more than a rotational player. But in terms of experience at South Carolina, he holds the edge here compared to the rest of these guys. So, Who knows? Maybe he is someone who could start this spot. Terrell Dawkins, he's proven himself at the Power 5 level at NC State, but he dealt with injuries this past season, and it seems like he hasn't really been able to get into the full swing of things since his arrival at South Carolina. He was a second stringer last year, which probably wasn't too much of a shocker because it was his first sort of few months in this new defensive scheme. He had guys like Gilbert Edvin, Jordan Birch, Jordan Strawn all in front of him, but This spring, you know, if Terrell Dawkins is going to make a move, this might be the time to do so. Brian Thomas Jr., we all know that Brian Thomas Jr. has NFL pedigree. His father played in the NFL for several seasons, and he's also a kid that can rush the passer. That is sort of his specialty. 
The question for Brian Thomas Jr. is, can he offer more than pass rush off the edge? Obviously, it's not a bad thing for that to be sort of his trademark on the football field. But if you want to be a starter on an SEC team, you got to offer a little bit more than that. Has Brian Thomas Jr. grown in other areas of his game? We'll, of course, get a glimpse of that when the Gamecocks take the field on Saturday afternoon. Now, while the edge position and running back position are, in my opinion, the most interesting spots to watch, the most interesting position battles heading into the spring game, there's a couple other spots that might not quite be position battles, so to speak, but are positions nonetheless that we should keep our eye on going through the spring game and heading into fall camp. And we'll dive into those other positions in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back on the baseball diamond. And there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000, which means that you get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. You're going to get money either way at the end of the day. That's a pretty good proposition right there. The Atlanta Braves and the Cincinnati Reds are going to be playing later tonight, and the Braves are currently a one-and-a-half favorite, according to FanDuel. The odds for that spread, by the way, are listed at minus 126. Here's the thing. The Braves broke their losing skid on Monday night with a walk-off home run from catcher Sean Murphy, and Kyle Wright is making his first start this season in front of the Atlanta Braves' home crowd. I think that that's a good recipe for the Braves to obliterate this one-and-a-half run spread. And again, those odds are at minus 126. I think that's pretty good money right there. Don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel is the official betting partner of Major League Baseball. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Let's continue our talk surrounding some position battles or positions to watch in the spring game with the center position. Now, this position does not have a whole lot of contenders here compared to some of the other spots, as this position battle is pretty much down to Nick Gargiulo and Vershawn Lee. How does this relate to the spring game and this football team going forward? Well, obviously, South Carolina, they've got their quarterback in Spencer Rattler. Now, they've got to get somebody who can help out in terms of checks at the line of scrimmage and communicating blocking schemes and the like with the rest of the offensive lineman. So that leads into both guys in Vershawn Lee and Nick Gargiulo. With Vershawn Lee, he has experience at the SEC level. That is something that he has over Nick Gargiulo. Here's the thing, though. Vershawn Lee has never started at the center position. And while Vershawn Lee has mainly been a guard throughout his career, it is an entirely different ball game to play the center position. To be a guy that's got to stare down the heart of a defensive front and be somebody that, again, has got to make the right checks, make sure everything's communicated properly between yourself, 
the rest of the offensive linemen, and of course, your quarterback. And with Spencer Rattler behind you, you got to have some confidence that if you could just get that aspect nailed down pat, then this offense could be clicking on all cylinders in 2023. But we haven't seen Rashawn Lee be tested with those responsibilities yet. So it is a fair question as of right now as to whether or not he could be able to perform these responsibilities and tasks. He'll get that opportunity, of course, in the spring game on Saturday. Nick Gargiulo, he is a guy that, while he doesn't have SEC experience like Vershawn Lee, he has started more games than Vershawn in his college football career, was the lone team captain for Yale's football team in 2022. Again, a very prestigious honor in that program. And he played center for the Bulldogs in all 10 games that they played this past fall. So Nick Gargiulo, he understands what it's like to have the ball in your hand and have to be able to essentially run an offense partially in terms of, again, communicating out all of the vital signals of your offensive play caller. So this one's going to be very intriguing. And this one, I guarantee you, it is not going to probably be solved on Saturday. This is one that is going to carry over into fall camp and to this point, it seems like Rashawn Lee has been the primary guy taking snaps here. But again, Nick Gargiulo has also been getting reps at center. It would not surprise me one bit if both of these guys split reps at this spot with the first team offense on Saturday night. And then another position, one that might not be getting talked about as much in terms of being a position battle, is the nickel corner position. This one is very important for a couple reasons. Obviously, in terms of the contenders here, we got Kawan Banks and we got D'Angelo Gibbs. And you've also got Keenan Nelson Jr. who would be involved here, but he's been dealing with injuries throughout spring ball up to this point. Why this position battle is important, like I mentioned earlier, well, you lose Camp Smith, which is obviously a massive blow for South Carolina's defensive secondary. And here's the other thing. In terms of generically viewing the nickel corner spot, a lot of people think that this is the most important position in the defensive backfield because you have to be proficient both in coverage and also stopping the run. You are the closest defensive back to the box, to the offensive line and the offensive backfield pretty much all the time. So you've got to be on your toes with everything that is happening in front of you. You are more than likely going to face a lot more short one-cut routes. So Again, that nickel corner spot, it is vital in a defense, to put it bluntly. Now, getting into the contenders here specifically, Kawan Banks, he played every game last year for South Carolina on special teams primarily, but he did also get some sporadic snaps on defense. So essentially, he didn't take a red shirt this past year, which says a lot as to what this coaching staff thinks about Kawan Banks and his potential as an SEC defensive back. He also is someone that can lay the wood on ball carriers in the run game, and he has been known for this dating back to his playing days in high school. The question for me when it comes to Kawan Banks is how can he handle the coverage aspect of the nickel corner spot? Again, I mentioned you've got to be very quick and reactionary in terms of responding to what the opposing slot receiver is doing at all times. All you need is one player to get behind on a route, and all of a sudden the offense can wind up going down the field for six. The nickel corner spot is one of those positions where it, it can be most prevalent if you are not adequately prepared in that aspect of your game. So again, not saying Kwan Banks can't handle that, but 
We haven't seen that a whole lot yet to this point in his career. Now, the veteran out of these two is D'Angelo Gibbs, a former five-star recruit who is playing his final year of eligibility here in Columbia. Now, D'Angelo Gibbs, look, do not let the walk-on status fool you. D'Angelo Gibbs is a fantastic athlete who has been trying to get into some playing shape throughout spring ball up to this point. And he's someone that a lot of people believe could make an impact for this football team this upcoming season. The reason why he hasn't maybe done so up to this point in his college football career I think it's more so the fact that people haven't been able to figure out really where his spot is on the football team. If it's wide receiver, if it's defensive back, or if it's maybe something on special teams. I think that this coaching staff really believes that being paired up with Torian Gray's development and his coaching, that D'Angelo Gibbs could make an impact here at the nickel corner spot. He's got the frame, and again, while it's not plentiful experience, he's got a lot of years under his belt in college football. So D'Angelo Gibbs could be a guy that, you know, who knows? If he has a great performance on Saturday, he could make this position battle a lot more intriguing heading into fall camp. And again, Keenan Nelson Jr., who might be the favorite right now if he was practicing, he has been out with an injury for the past couple of weeks. So again, expect this to carry over into fall camp as well. But keep your eyes peeled on the nickel corner position when South Carolina's defense is on the field on Saturday night. All right, now let's talk about South Carolina's women's basketball team. Monday night was a historic night for the program. It was a program record in terms of draft selections as five South Carolina Gamecock players heard their name get called on Monday night. And it was the fourth time in women's college basketball history that one solo team had five players get drafted to the WNBA. So congratulations to Aaliyah Boston, Zaya Cook, Bree Beal, Leticia, me here, and Victoria Saxton for getting drafted to the WNBA. We wish you all the best of luck in your future endeavors in your basketball careers. But that now means that it is really time to look to the future for South Carolina. And when it comes to the future, I had a thought about who could be sort of that next crop of players. Who could be the players that end up dominating on the court for South Carolina in the next couple years and maybe are the next players that move on to the WNBA. The first question I had regarding this thought was who could be the next number one overall pick for South Carolina? Because Aaliyah Boston is now the second number one overall pick in the program's history. Asia Wilson, of course, was the number one overall pick back in 2018. And Aaliyah Boston did this once again on Monday night. So who could the next one be? I think it's going to be someone that has yet to play a single game for South Carolina. I think it's going to be Malaysia Fulwiley. I think that Malaysia Fulwiley has potential to be an absolute superstar. I've already talked about this before on the show, but she, she is someone that could score at all three levels. She has fantastic ball handling, and she is also a shot creator. She does not need to have her shots set up by certain plays. She is somebody that can make shots for herself every single possession. And I just think that she's going to be an absolute highlight reel at South Carolina. I think that with some time under Don Staley's tutelage, she could be the next great South Carolina women's basketball player here in Columbia. 
Now, in terms of other players who could be maybe high-level draft picks, let's say first-round draft picks, there's multiple players that I think fit this criteria. The ones I'm looking at specifically are Camilla Cardoso, Bree Hall, and Tessa Johnson. Cardoso is someone that I think is an obvious one because you rarely see players that have her athleticism and her motor at her size. With her length and her height, she does about everything for South Carolina in terms of putting in work in the paint. She is someone, obviously, that rebounds the ball at a very high clip. She has got better touch than people give her credit for with the basketball in her hand. She has done a much better job at getting out of sticky situations such as double teams, triple teams, maybe getting the ball underneath the basket. She's done much better in those facets of her game in the past 12, 13 months. And I could see her taking another step forward this next season, averaging a double-double for South Carolina. And it would shock me if she wasn't a first-round pick in the WNB draft in 2024. Bree Hall, she is going to be the next Bree Beal for South Carolina. She is a two-way player. She's someone that maybe can shoot the ball a little bit better than Bree Beal as a whole. And she's got great defense in her own right. Can she go against anybody on the defensive end? Probably not, but her perimeter defense is superb. She's going to make you work hard to get open. And I think that that is valuable in the professional ranks. So I think that she could be a future first-round pick in the WNBA draft. Tessa Johnson, I know I'm projecting long-term here. Again, yet to play a single game for South Carolina. But Tessa Johnson, with what I've seen from her high school film, she impresses me a great deal. She's a volume shooter. She's a floor general. She is someone that is great in transition. She could do a little bit of everything on offense in terms of facilitating and also shooting and scoring the basketball. And again, I think that that is very valuable. Offense is the name of the game these days in sports. So I think that with all that bearing in mind, that's going to help Tessa Johnson a great deal and give her a chance to be a first-round draft pick in the WNBA draft four years down the road. Now, some others that I think will be drafted down the line, but I don't really know where to slot them right now. Sanaya Fagan, Ashley Watkins, Raven Johnson, and Chloe Kitts. I think all four of these players have next-level potential here at South Carolina. Fagan is a great athlete for someone who is in the front court. She is very underrated in terms of her jump shot on offense. She is someone that also has a very high motor. She could score in bunches when she is in the paint area. Um, I think the turnovers were a touch of an issue for her this past season, but with some more minutes now at that power forward spot, who knows, she probably improves a great deal in that aspect, can get more comfortable and get into a rhythm in the game. Ashton Watkins, phenomenal athlete. Somebody that also, again, does not get enough credit for the touch she has with the basketball in her hands and is someone that I think can kind of be the next Letitia me here, but maybe even a little bit better honestly, on both ends of the floor. Obviously, Amihur offered a ton of versatility defensively, so that's going to be a pretty high ceiling to live up to for Ashley Watkins, but I think she could do it. Raven Johnson, very similar to Tessa Johnson, who I mentioned earlier. I think with Raven Johnson, the one thing that's holding her back right now, I think that she's got to become someone that's not afraid to shoot three-pointers. I know that Raven Johnson is clearly a pass-first guard at heart. She does not want to be someone that is basically taking all the shots offensively. But I think that she's got more potential in terms of scoring the ball than what she showed this past year. So again, Raven Johnson could easily be a first-round draft pick one day. 
it's just very hard to project long-term, in my opinion, at this current moment. And then one last player, Chloe Kitts. Again, very long-term projection here, but sort of similar to Tessa Johnson. I think that Chloe Kitts, she is your modern-day offensive shot maker at the wing spot. She can shoot the three ball. She can shoot the mid-range. She's not afraid to drive it to the basket. She needs time, of course, to obviously get adjusted to the college game. It was a tough transition for her, leaving in the middle of her senior year of high school this past season. But I think that she's got a chance to really be an offensive creator for South Carolina. She's also a very good passer in her own right, something that does not get talked about enough when people discuss her game. So, all in all, you count up all those players. I think the Gamecocks have eight future WNBA draft picks right this moment just on their roster, and with players that they have coming in very soon from the high school ranks. That's not even including some players that they could get out of the transfer portal in the next couple weeks, which they're going to have to do. You cannot go into a season with just 10 players on your roster. Got to have more than that. I suspect Don Staley and her staff will, of course, get two or three transfers when all is said and done. But with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always, what are your thoughts on some of the position battles for South Carolina's football team heading into the spring game? Which position are you going to be watching the most on Saturday night? Let me know your thoughts on that and everything else I discussed on today's show down below in the comments section. If you watch today's show on YouTube or if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app, you can shoot me a direct message on Twitter at A-Line underscore SC, and I'll try to respond to your message as quickly as I see it. Again, thank y'all so much for tuning in. You can find the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast again on YouTube. Subscribe and click the bell for notifications so that you will be up to date on future shows. You can also follow us wherever you get your audio podcast daily, and you can follow the show's accounts on Twitter and on Facebook. On Twitter, it's at LockedOnSC. And on Facebook, just look up Locked On Gamecocks and you'll be able to find the page pretty easily there. But with that being said, thank y'all once again for tuning into today's show. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.